Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We're going to have an interesting discussion, hopefully interesting, uh, this hour about uh, education. Uh, jumping off from the uh, bruising battle over the uh, confirmation of uh, now Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. Um, but a couple of uh, comments have come in uh, following our recent discussion about protests and marches and social movements. And uh, appreciate all of your responses. Uh, we've had a couple more come in. First is from Warren. Um, it's uh, somewhat lengthy, but uh, I will read it. Some, some interesting points here. Warren says, uh, missed the fun this a.m., but still wish to make a few remarks. We'll list. One, Waters' poll last weekend pretty well negates the piety of the protesters. Personal interviews are revealing. I'm embarrassed for America. I'm not sure what the Waters' poll is, but uh, number two, no show at work, no pay, no show up for class, no grade. Um, number three, teacher takes day off while kids play lopsided games. Four, does this contribute to the solution of student debt? Five, poli-sci 101 A and B. A equals protesting, B equals spring break. Six, at uh, WWU, Bellingham, Washington, 40 years ago, two students walked into our 8 o'clock humanities class and asked Dr. Schuler if they could make a statement about the current campus protest. When they finished their brief spiel, uh, Schuler excused students who wished to leave. We remained in our seats. They left. Good. After all, I had a wife and three children at the time and worked nearly full-time on the waterfront. Seven, does this uh, make protesters better than others or enhance their grade? Eight, college students rent from us. Two work almost full-time after school. And third is an EMT. Do they count? If so, how are they labeled? The so-called movement is polluted with hypocrisy. We have Black Lives Matter, MLK highways, boulevards, parkways, and streets, but not a single stretch of road anywhere dedicated to America's genuinely heroic Native American. And he quotes uh, Tom Chichi, Creek Chief, 16th century. Here's what Tom Chichi said, according to Warren. The more I consider the condition of the white man, the more fixed becomes my opinion that instead of uh, gaining, they have lost much, subjecting themselves to what they call laws and regulations of civilized societies. Warren goes on, I also resent the long-standing argument that whites submit. Quote, Europeans also brought peace to an unsettled uh, tribal warfaring peoples, end quote. Argue that through two world wars, Mexican wars, 1812 conquest of Indian America, Balkans, and, uh, and, and the list goes on. Did not mean to miss the program. At 84, I'm swamped with other things, even more important than a self-serving protest that totally ignores the nation's roots. Happy Valentine's Day. That's from Warren. Thanks for your comment, Warren. And uh, we go next uh, to Veronica. Veronica says, I attended the D.C. Women's March and can attest that there was no possible way to exclude anyone or any group from that huge crowd. What impressed me most was that I never heard a crossword and uh, or saw a frown. What I saw was solidarity and intention. That's uh, Veronica. Thanks for those comments. Keep them coming to upraxcess at gmail.com. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The confirmation battle over Education Secretary Betsy DeVos was riveting political theater, but it also highlighted deep divisions regarding our K-12 education system. Quoting the Washington Post, a newspaper now, Trump's pick, meaning DeVos, has intensified what already was a polarized debate about school choice. Advocates for such choice see in the Trump administration an extraordinary opportunity to advance their cause on a national scale, Whereas teachers' unions and many Democrats fear an unprecedented and catastrophic attack on public schools, which they see as one of the nation's bedrock civic institutions, that's the Washington Post. We're going to talk about education today. Our guests later in the hour will include Utah Association of Public Charter Schools Communication Director Kate Clunt, and we'll have with us uh, Dr. Rich Kendall from Our Schools uh, Now. 
And uh, we bring on now uh, UEA President uh, Heidi Matthews. Uh, Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Let me just, uh, we're we're using this, uh, I think all of us are aware of of this extraordinary uh, confirmation fight. Um, And as a jumping off point to talk about the issues, uh, so I want to ask you, uh, first of all, what what did you think of President Trump's pick and, and the whole extraordinary political theater that ensued? Well, yes, that was that was uh, quite quite frustrating on on a number of levels to to designate the uh, the Secretary of of Education as someone who who really has not um, invested in public education or has a knowledge of publication or really places a deep value in in the institution of public education throughout. Um, her her career. So yes, we're deeply concerned about that, but we're moving forward, you know, uh, calling attention to the federal role in education, which really has been about equity and making sure that our neediest, most vulnerable students have what they need to be able to be successful. So, uh, so that, of course, is a debate. Uh, some saw this as, you know, tr- kind of a Trojan horse type thing, as with uh, Trump's picks for other administrations. Uh, pick someone whose uh, views uh, don't align with the very existence of of the department. Put them at the head, and, and you know, squeeze it from the top. Um, so I think I'm hearing from you that uh, you're you're in favor of of a federal department of ed- education. Um, maybe you could list uh, some other reasons why you think that that's uh, a, a useful useful organization to have. So you know that the. the federal presence in in education really started during the civil rights movement. It was 1965, the Elementary Secondary Education Act came in to assure that all children were given the resources that they needed to be successful, because what was happening is we had the states kind of fallen down on, the, on their, their job of providing that equitable access. You know, we had discrimination happening all over the country and, and people with haves and have-nots and people with special needs not being tended to. And so the federal government came in and said, okay, states, we're going to um, provide for you this, this funding so that you can address poverty and you can address um, students with special needs or female students and get them the resources that they need, but we're going to hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you use these in in the most um, productive ways, that you're using it correctly. And that's where the Department of Education came in, is to, to assure that accountability to these particular titled funds. And then we had No Child Left Behind come along, the reauthorization of this act, which really diverted the attention to, instead of looking at these, these special needs and these vulnerable children, it really looked at the whole system, the accountability of, of the entire systems. And I think that's where we've, we've really run into some trouble with the federal government trying to come in and in, in an area um, where that's not necessarily their place. That's the, the place of the, of the states. And so, yes, I support a Department of Education and the federal presence in, uh, in education to the extent that they are focusing on equity and providing those resources to our, our most vulnerable students. I think if uh, now Secretary DeVos uh, stands for anything or, or did you know stand for something as a symbol coming in, uh, it probably would be vouchers and school choice. I'm guessing she was famous for you know instituting those in several states. Um, she has a lot of money and uh, and uh, 
put puts money. She and her husband puts money in, into uh, fights over over this. Um, heavily invested in the Republican Party in Michigan and, and other places. Um, so uh, you, you, if you take this from a parent's point of view and your uh, child is in a school that uh, where you feel they're not getting the education that, that they uh, should be getting, uh, you can see the attractiveness of a, a voucher program. Take taxpayer dollars and I can go to a private school or or I can go elsewhere. Um, what, what, are, what are the downsides, do you think, of a voucher program school choice? Well, we know how people of Utah feel about vouchers. You know, we had that uh, that referendum uh, a number of years ago, and, and the public spoke loud and clear that we do not want tax dollars going to private institutions in, in our state. I see um, school choice when it's labeled this way as kind of like a, a, a pie, and you invite someone to come over and say, hey, you know, take a piece of a pie, take your choice of what you want. And, and someone, instead of taking a, a nice little slice off the, the side, they take a slice right out of the, the middle of the pie, um, you know, that with no crust on, on the outside. And so that their choice, while they had that option, um, they got their perfect piece of pie, but it impacted everyone else's and negatively. And, and I see that with, with vouchers. It's like, yes, that would be... Having a choice for your your school is certainly something that all parents should have that that right to do. Unfortunately, um, you know, not all people are in that in that boat. You know, being able to choose a, a school that is across town is not an option for people who have parents who who work, um, or, or being able to choose a school that where you have to make up the difference in in tuition is not an option for for a number of people. And in all of these choices, what's happening is funds are being diverted from from the public schools and away from the public schools and so in in a sense it's it's uh diminishing the very thing that we want to be supporting hmm. what do you think about our neighborhood public schools oh sorry about that to interrupt you um i wonder what your your views are on this whole idea of accountability republicans especially have have said you know that we, we pay money for the schools want to make sure that the kids are getting educated um, and we need we need standards. Of course, this has been debated for a long time. We had uh, No Child Left Behind, for example. How um, h- how should accountability be, be administered? You know, we're we're teachers, and we are all about accountability. It's kind of what we do on a on a daily basis. What we want, though, is an accountability that is is meaningful. You know, we were just talking the other day. There's a, a Senate or a House bill. 241 that is is being discussed about changing accountability to be far more meaningful than simply a, a school grade that is based on a snapshot of one standardized test on on one particular day. So meaningful accountability is going to look at um, yes standardized test scores and growth on that, but that is just one measurement in an array of different ways of, of assessing the, the successes of a school, from graduation rates and attendance and supports that you have and access to a rich curriculum with um, music and arts and physical education and libraries and all of these many things that, that contribute to uh, an excellent education. 
Um, yeah, I could, there are problems, as, as you made reference to, uh, teaching to the test. And then and then uh, in a certain case, you're, yep. you're always just teaching to the test, if, if, that's the, if that's the metric. Well, and that is something that, that um, No Child Left Behind left a very, a very strong mark that way. And we have testing organizations who have made enormous profits off of, off of these mandates to base all of education, uh, all accountability in education on, on this single measurement. And, and it, it's had a, a pretty devastating effect. Um, and to bring it back to, to the effect of, of the classroom in classrooms in Utah, you know, we have a significant teacher shortage. We haven't, people are not coming into this profession and they're leaving at an alarming, alarming rates. And that, that shift of accountability to be, um, a measured by a single standardized test that doesn't always give a broad picture, but also B placing accountability as not a way for us to assess the system and see, say, okay, where are we doing things that are positive, that are really helping students succeed? Um, it's really shifted to become, let's, who can we blame for, for what's not happening here? Mm-hmm. And I think that's really contributed to the environment where, where people are not wanting to stay in, in the profession. They're, they're leaving the classroom because of this, this heavy blame that they are being placed with. Uh, do you think that's the biggest factor? Um, I, I could also add in, I, I suppose, pay. I, I, anecdotally, talking to friends, understand that surrounding states uh, pay better than Utah. Uh, well, almost, almost everyone uh, surrounding states. I think it's you know certainly a nationwide issue, but in Utah, um, the, the the average teacher salary has actually gone down by f- almost five thousand dollars in the last in the last uh, year, which means that we've got newer and newer people coming into the profession who are on a lower lower starting salary. Um, we have a plethora of teachers who have to have second jobs just to be able to sustain their families. And we have fewer and fewer people entering into the profession because they balance out, you know, their investment in their degree and what potential student debt that they are going to have and, and their quality of life moving, moving forward. So, yes, compensation is, is definitely a factor. There are other factors to a class size and the, this just overwhelming workload that teachers are facing that just seems to be growing and growing um, with each year in terms of the, the numbers of students in, in the classes, the, the different issues that our students are coming into our schools that, that need to be attended to before they can, they can learn. All of these things are just increasing the pressure that, that I think our educators are feeling on a daily basis. But Certainly, compensation is is an enormous factor. It's not the only one, but it is is one of the more significant. Uh, Utah, of course, famous for uh, I don't know if it's first or phrase it last in the nation in in uh, you know um, in class size, but uh, and it's mm-hmm. it's talked about all the time. Uh, every legislative session, the the governor talks about it every year, um, and I I, I think there's uh, some frustration among. Uh, some part of the community uh, underlying the Our Schools Now initiative. What's UA's position on the on Our Schools Now? We are 
thrilled that an organization and these respected business business folks are are focusing a laser attention on education funding. We've we've joined with our schools now to help support in any way we can addressing this crisis that we have of education funding in Utah. And I I, I just keep saying, you know, our house is on fire. We, We didn't get there overnight. The house is on fire. We have to address it right now. It's not the time to be talking about you know, retiling the kitchen or, or you know, painting the bedroom. It's We've got to address the underlying funding problems in education in our state so that we can give our students the education that they deserve. What do you think about uh, Representative Dave McKay's uh, bill? He wants to, uh, as he sees it, uh, more truthfully present the Our Schools Now initiative, and uh, he wants to present it not as a, uh, you know, at a per- percentage point or a, a, a fraction. Uh, he wants to present it as a percentage increase. So in, instead of seven-eighths of one percent, he wants to uh, make clear that 17.5 percent increase in taxes. You know, I... I I think that people are intelligent enough to understand what it is that they are are voting for. I don't think we need to legislate um, how things are, are spelled out. We have a crisis in our state, and, and I wish that the attention of, of our legislature was to, to address this underlying problem that we have and come up with some positive solutions so that maybe this this initiative doesn't have to go through you know maybe maybe we can, it can be dealt with without having to go to a citizens initiative to get it on the ballot and i think that that's the the underlying frustration is that there isn't enough action um so you know a bill to make it more transparent that's fine but why are we we need to focus on the big issue of of funding we have a uh, caller um, who has uh, called. I've neglected to give out the numbers, so we do have the phone lines open, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or you can reach us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We're talking about K-12 education on the program today, and we have with us right now um, the uh, president of the uh, UEA, Heidi Matthews. Later in the program, Dr. Rich Kendall will join us from our schools now and uh, from Utah Association of Public Charter Schools, their community. Education Director Kate Clunt will be uh, will be joining us. We bring on uh, Carl in St. George. Uh, Carl, glad you joined us. Go ahead with your question or comment. Good morning, folks. Uh, my question is, is when you talk about privatizing education, you can't talk about that without talking of the bringing in the profit motive. Now, who stands to profit from privatizing education? I have another comment after your your answer. Oh, okay. I think that it's it's. I think um, Carl's going somewhere. I don't know, Heidi Matthews. If you want to tackle that one, um, sure. That we have even even today, we have a number of um, for-profit schools that are receiving public funds. So we'll have to and, uh, fade Carl so, down while that's going. I think Carl has radio on. Uh, go ahead, Heidi. Oh, just that, that these for-profit schools are, are already receiving public funds. And um, under vouchers, as um, Betsy DeVos has, has um, brought out in, in states like Michigan, um, those funds then would go to private education entities as, as well. So, you know, private schools, religious schools, 
that kind of thing. Uh, Carl, uh, Carl, your next point. My question was, is who's, who's uh, benefiting really from the private schools? Who's running them? Is it a, a private organization that uh, receives the vouchers and, and makes money on private schools? What well, organization benefits from private schools? Well, as I understand it, public. as I understand it, from uh, Heidi Matthews, you can correct me if I'm wrong. We do it. We don't uh, vouchers aren't existing in Utah, right? So taxpayer dollars aren't going to private schools. If if a if a parent wants to take their kid out correct. of public school, they have to pay uh, from their with their own money for for a private school. Okay, so the uh, tax money, yeah, the tax money that would be going to public schools does not go to private charter schools is that right well they're they're two different things uh, charter schools are public schools so Heidi Matthews uh, taxpayer dollars would go to, to charter school right right and we even without a voucher system right now we do have public funds going to charter schools that are public but they are for profit right so in, so in the, they are for so you're they you're correct. Profit, you're right. correct in the case of, of charter schools. Yes, taxpayer dollars be going to the charter schools. Well, let me uh, let me tell you what has happened in prisons. Somebody got the bright idea that we should publicly or privately fund prisons because it would be more efficient and it would be a a, a real uh, coup to get away from publicly funding. And what happened is eventually they found that the people who were using state funds for private prisons is the the people that were running these prisons they found that they could make more money by number one cutting back on the number of guards number two they were cutting back on the quality of food number three they were cutting back on the quality of guards in their training and all of a sudden they found that they were having real problems in these prisons and so they immediately began to say, hey, there are some things that should be privatized and there are other things that should not be. And one is prison should not be. Now, when you talk about funding education outside of the public uh, sector, you're starting to talk about the profit motive. And you're starting to say, well, whoever's receiving these funds and running these schools, hey, if we put more people in the classroom, because that's the motivation, if we can cut back on the quality of books, if we can cut back on the number of books, if we can cut back on teacher qualifications, we're going to make more money on public funds. And it looks to me like there's some real excellent arguments against public funding of private education. Uh, I would absolutely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Carl. Uh, so some some good points. I appreciate that. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll specifically put this. Uh, uh, question about taxpayer dollars going to uh, charter schools uh, to our next guest who's coming up shortly. Uh, we'll be talking with uh, uh, Kate Clunt from the uh, Utah Association of Public Charter Schools. Uh, may, may I um, also say, though, that, that right now, um, I, I, would, I don't want to get into any argument about funding for charter schools and private schools and all of that and divert any attention away from the fact that our schools in Utah are in a crisis and need and we need attention. We need to figure out how we are going to fulfill our responsibility of of a public education for all of our children in Utah, mm. and address the teacher shortage and make sure that our students have, you know, a highly qualified, effective teacher in in every classroom across the state. 
Uh, just, and what it's going to take financially to get us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just finally, uh, so do you believe the Our Schools Now initiative is, is the best way to, to, to get in the right direction? You know, I think the Our Schools Now movement is, is really important because it's, it's coming from, from, from a grassroots of the business leaders leading the way in saying, look, it's time that we address this. I, I, the, all of the, the taxes and funding and those things, you know, I'm, I'm good in the classroom and the, the finances of it, um, I, I leave to, to others. We, we certainly get behind any, any attempt to, um, not any attempt, any um, movement that is going to be a solution for a long-term funding for, the, for our education system in Utah. Um, and I think that the public's ready, that, mm-hmm. they, that they recognize that you want, you want an effective system. It does, it does cost. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking with UEA President Heidi Matthews. I appreciate you taking your time to be with us today. Thank you so much. And uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will have with us uh, Utah Association of Public Charter Schools Communication Director Kate Clunt. Later in the program, Dr. Rich Kendall from Our Schools Now Movement. And uh, we hope to hear from you. We heard from Carl in St. George there, and uh, we have uh, an email coming up from Steve in Arizona. Um, and uh, you can uh, join in the program. We're talking about K-12 through education. We're uh, jumping off the uh, recent confirmation battle over Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos is, of course, known for uh, school choice and vouchers. Um, and uh, we're also been, we've also been talking about uh, where the locus of control should be locally or, or should there be a, a Department of Education. We're talking about funding as well. And uh, we'd love to have you uh, talk with us about that. Accountability is another issue. Uh, so 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495 for your phone call or your email. You can come to us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. More following the break. Did you know that libraries in Cache Valley are being transitioned into civic spaces of the future? Researchers have received a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services to work with libraries in northern Utah and the students they serve. They will involve students and their families in maker activities, which combine arts and crafts with technology and engineering. Teachers are excited to discover ways to reach more students. Many physics, biology, art, and shop teachers now have their students engaged in these projects. In North Logan, the library is already opening its doors to all kinds of learning activities. Community members are coming to participate in arts, crafts, and computer classes for seniors. This segment of Did You Know That? has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians. Located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Humanities, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement. Online at utahhumanities.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. The confirmation battle over Education Secretary Betsy DeVos was riveting political theater, but it also highlights deep divisions regarding our K-12 education system. Quoting now from the Washington Post, Trump's pick, talking about DeVos, has intensified what already was a polarized debate about school choice. Advocates for such choice see in the Trump administration an extraordinary opportunity to advance their cause on a national scale 
whereas teachers' unions and many Democrats fear an unprecedented and catastrophic attack on public schools, which they see as one of the nation's bedrock civic institutions. Well, we're talking about education today. We have talked with UAA President Heidi Matthews. Coming up, we're going to be talking with Dr. Rich Kendall from Our Schools Now. And uh, we bring in uh, Utah Association of Public Charter Schools Communications Director uh, Kate Clunt. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? You did. You oh, okay. did. Okay, thank you. Um, I want to get in this uh, email from uh, Steve uh, before we uh, we jump in with you. Appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, Steve says, Betsy DeVos pretends that she's for accountability in schools, but that claim is belied by her history of suppression of accountability. In Michigan, she has not only promoted the unfettered uh, growth of charter schools with the concomitant starving of public school funding, she's also opposed all legislative efforts to make these often for-profit charter schools accountable in any way to parents, students, or regulators. Betsy DeVos is not only opposed to public education, she's also opposed to accountability for charter schools. And then the links to an uh, article in The Atlantic. And so this is very apropos uh, with, with you. You represent uh, charter schools in, in uh, Utah, uh, Kate Clunt. I wonder, um, just in a, in a general way, I want to get into specifics here with what Steve says. Uh, General Way, what, uh, in your view, why charter schools? Why, why the impulse? Why do parents want to take their kids to charter schools? Uh, what, what are the upsides to charter schools? That's a great question. I think that parents choose charter schools for a couple of different reasons. Um, I think the first is that there are charter schools across the state of Utah. And I can speak specifically for Utah. Nationally, that's not my, my area of expertise. That's not who I represent. So just in terms of the charter schools in Utah, they offer some incredible programs. We have national award-winning show choirs. We have robotics teams that frequently place at national and state competitions. We have dual language immersion programs. And so I think that if you have a student that is passionate about something like that and you're a parent and you want to stoke that passion, you want to make sure that they're invested and involved, then you're going to look for a school that focuses and emphasizes one of those unique programs. Another reason I think that parents choose charter schools is that, you know, all students don't learn the same. They don't all learn the same even when they are in the same family. And charter schools offer a wide variety of different learning philosophies and environments. If you have a student who is just above average and the neighborhood high school isn't keeping their attention because they're ready for more, we have an early college high school for that. If you have a student who is autistic, who needs more individualized attention and a different learning environment, we have Spectrum Academy. We have a school for that. And so I think for parents who have students that need a unique learning environment where the status quo isn't working for them, I think they can often find success for their students, for their children in charter schools. And so I think it's just a result of parents being thoughtful about the choices that they make for their children's education and really just kind of looking to see what's there and see what's going to work best for their family. Well, the arguments against charter schools, uh, people can, I think, can understand on a basic level that if uh, a parent uh, has their child in a, in a, in a regular pu- public school uh, that is, is not working for that child, the child's not getting the education the parent wants, they should have an opportunity to go somewhere else. But the, the idea of funding, so that, you know, taxpayer dollars do, uh, I think, follow the, the child to a charter school as opposed to a private school. Um, but that funding then is no longer available for, you know, the, the, the body of students, massive students, critical massive students over in that, uh, that regular public school that was, was left behind, including special needs kids and, and, and the rest. What if you address that? Uh, the, the, and Steve puts it, uh, the concomitant starving of public school funding 
That's the one of the arguments against charter schools. Sure. I, I think it comes down to a different philosophy. Do you believe that the money should follow the student, or do you believe that the money should follow the institution? Because charter students are public education students, and they deserve the same amount of money that goes to a child who chooses their traditional neighborhood school. And I think one of the misconceptions is that charter schools get to pick and choose who they take. And that's just not true. We have a lottery system. Charter schools take who applies. And the State Charter School Board recently released their 2017 report that shows that charter schools have just a little bit more of a special needs population than traditional neighborhood schools. And they have just a few more minority students, ethnic minority students as well. So they're just as diverse as neighborhood schools. The students deserve the same amount of money. And I think that it's disingenuous to say that you're starving the public education system in general because these kids belong to the public education system. It's just a different branch. We work together. Uh, I want to have you address Steve's main point here, which is about accountability. He's uh, charging Betsy DeVos with uh, working to uh, suppress accountability in the states that she's worked in. So uh, to your knowledge, in Utah... Charter schools, uh, same standard of accountability as regular public schools or not? Are there differences? So they are subject to the same laws and the same reporting requirements as traditional neighborhood schools. And one misconception is that there are for-profit charter schools in Utah. That is false. They are statutorily required to be nonprofit organizations. So there are not charter schools in Utah profiting off taxpayer dollars. There are not charter schools avoiding accountability or avoiding reports. They're graded just like traditional neighborhood schools. They use the same assessments. So in Utah specifically, they are accountable. They're accountable to the state charter school board. They're accountable to the state board of education, and they're accountable to the legislature. And they're also accountable to the governing board of parents and community leaders that run the school. And I don't know how much more accountable you can get than having such a close governing board. And I don't, they're accountable to parents. Parents wouldn't choose charter schools if they didn't like what they were doing, if they weren't sure the charter schools were doing the best that they could. Uh, so um, I was going to bring up uh, Carl's objections to uh, you know privatized uh, schools, for-profit schools. He says for-profit institutions. He used the example of privatized prisons where he says that uh, some of those prisons have had some problems with cost-cutting. Uh, but you're saying that uh, there are no for-profit charter schools in Utah? No, there are not. Okay. They have to be non-profits. That's a requirement in state statute. Okay. Um, uh, I wonder uh, what what your thoughts are on uh, the Our Schools Now initiative. Well, we are always happy when business leaders and community leaders are interested in education. It really takes the investment of an entire community to make sure that our public education system succeeds. Uh, And honestly, school funding and the tax code is incredibly complicated, and I think that The legislature has been looking at this. I don't think that we give them enough credit for the amount of time and work that they put into trying to fund education and fund growth while also balancing their state budget. Um, So we're supportive of looking at the mechanisms that we use to fund education. Uh, But as of this point, we would just like to see what the legislature does this session and and see where we end up funding-wise. 
uh, before we make any commitment to our schools now. I wonder what your thoughts are on your organization's thoughts on the, this this whole argument over where the locus of control ought to be. Um, UAA President Heidi Matthews uh, gave some arguments in favor of a federal Department of Education, and uh, that's coming to bold relief with, uh, with with some you know conspiracy theory that President Trump, by appointing uh, Secretary DeVos, is is wanting to shrink uh, the the department, the federal department. Uh, what's what's your feeling? Should should there be a federal Department of Education? You know, we haven't taken a position on that. We primarily operate with state leaders and with local leaders. And so we're focused on just offering the most choice and the most opportunity that we can to Utah's public school children. Um, Whatever happens with the Department of Education, we'll continue to provide unique and individualized educational opportunities for kids that need something different than the status quo. Now, recognizing Utah Association of Public Charter Schools probably doesn't have a dog in this fight, but to end, uh, Heidi Matthews says this was settled a, a while ago. We're talking about vouchers in you know in Utah, um, but you know charter schools are kind of a, a step, kind of toward private schools, aren't they? If you have a spectrum, it's, it's more choice for the parents. Um, I don't know if you have a position or your organization has a position on on vouchers. It's not up for debate right now, but uh, I'm just curious. We're not. So we, we don't participate in the voucher debate. Uh, we view charter schools as an integral part of Utah's public education system. Um, everything about them is public, from the funding to the students to the teachers and the accountability. So we wouldn't be able, we're just not something that, that we're debating or talking about. Hmm. Uh, what would your, your organization like to see? Uh, any adjustments uh, to the rules in Utah regarding charter schools? We're working closely with the legislature to make sure that they understand the process of charter schools and the requirements that they go through to begin and to succeed. Uh, but just overall, I would hope that charter schools in Utah and in even this discussion about Bessie DeVos would expose more parents in, charter, in Utah to charter schools and kind of help dispel some of the myths that surround them. Here's a question that was directed to Heidi Matthews. We don't have her on, so I'll address it to you. And also to Rich Kendall, an interesting question. This is Ted from Logan. He says, I would uh, I would like to have Ms. Matthews, we'll, we'll have you and uh, Dr. Kendall as well, define this. Uh, I would like to have you define crisis. So Heidi Matthews de- de- described a, a crisis in public schools. Uh, what is the metric where schools are no longer in crisis? I'd be interested to have your take on that. So I personally wouldn't use the word crisis to describe Utah's public education system. I think that we should constantly be striving to open the best schools possible and to employ the best teachers possible and to find the best outcomes for the students that we educate. Uh, That question of assessment is one that the legislature has been studying and has have been trying to create a consistent metric for success, it's very difficult to measure the success of a student, it turns out. So I wouldn't call it a crisis, but I do think that we need a, a constant eye to improvement and making sure that we're providing the best possible education for the students in Utah. Well, thank you very much. We've been talking with Kate Clunt. Uh, she is Communications Director with the Utah Association of Public Charter Schools. Appreciate your, your perspective. Thank you.
Thank you for having me. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll have our last guest for the hour. It's Dr. Rich Kendall from Our Schools Now. We'll talk about that initiative and much more regarding education following this break. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing information, events, and advocacy on key issues. More information is available at aarp.org. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU's Provost's Office, Center for Women and Gender, offering an undergraduate minor and graduate certificate in Women and Gender Studies. Information at cwg.usu.edu. Hey, I'm Jad Abumrad on the next Radio Lab. Well, it's certain, I mean, it's just... Are you sure? I don't know. Um, um, I mean, yeah, well... Uh, We've got stories from that surprisingly razor-thin line between certainty... No, I, it's, I, and doubt. Join us this Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We are uh, in the final segment now of our uh, uh, Access Utah program regarding K-12 education. We've used this jumping uh, off point, uh, the riveting political theater that was the confirmation battle over Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. But uh, this also highlights deep divisions regarding our K-12 education system. And uh, we're going to be talking uh, about funding for education as well, especially in Utah. And we'd love to get your perspective. Perhaps you're a teacher, a parent, um, do you, uh, are you in support of uh, vouchers? Do you, uh, what, is your, what are your thoughts on accountability? Uh, and uh, funding, where should the locus of control be? Are you in support of charter schools or private schools? Um, what about uh, the needs of uh, the other students, especially special needs uh, students? Um, all of these issues we've been talking about, we'll continue this discussion. You can reach uh, our program here, we hope you will, at 1-800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Or you can uh, call us, uh, or you can email us, rather, to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at uh, gmail.com. And we bring in Dr. Rich Kendall from Our Schools Now. Uh, Dr. Kendall is a former commissioner of Utah System of Higher Education, previously served as interim president of Southern Utah University, executive director of Utah Partnership for Education, deputy to the governor for education and economic development, superintendent of the Davis School District, assistant state superintendent of schools. He's currently a regents professor in the Utah Education Policy Center, University of uh, Utah. Uh, Dr. Kendall, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so uh, you're associated with now with our schools now. Uh, this uh, tell us first of all what uh, who's associated with the group. If you go to the website, um, you, you see a whole list of people behind this, yeah. including including a lot of business leaders. Yeah, this is a business led um, kind of initiative. Uh, the co chairs are Gail Miller, Scott Anderson of Zions Bank, and Ron Gibson, who has been with Questar recently retired. And then we have oh, 100, 120 business leaders, community leaders throughout Utah who uh, see that the funding of education and the support of education as a strategic development, um, something that just simply has to be done if we're going to have a better future in our state. Uh, I want to uh, read an email that's come in. This was directed to Heidi Matthews. We had on earlier uh, president of UEA. Um, 
want to direct this to you. Uh, this is Ted and Logan. He says, uh, and and Ms. Matthews def- defined the, the public school system as being in crisis. And so he says, uh, we'd love to have you define crisis. And what's the metric where the schools are no longer in, in, in crisis? So first of all, would you describe the, the Utah's public education system as in crisis? Well, I, I, we're certain, I think the public school system is certainly under a lot of stress. I think there are very high expectations for public schools. And, uh, frankly, there are a lot of things that uh, are not where they should be. And one of them is that we have a very difficult time attracting qualified teachers into the public schools, including charter schools. So I would say that's getting pretty close to a crisis. We lose about 40%, some say higher than that, within the first five years of their employment. So... That's the kernel of good uh, schooling, and that is having a, a, a really impassioned, qualified, well-trained person in a classroom. And so Ted would like a, a metric where the schools are no longer in crisis or distress. I guess that's you know, teacher, teacher retention, right? Are there other metrics you can yeah, point to I that we should yeah, look to? Teacher retention would be one of those, uh, and recruiting uh, teachers that are highly qualified. Um, there, there are some other things that I think need some attention. We have a, we have a uh, uniform testing program in the state assessment called SAGE. It's been very controversial, but it does allow for the testing of students in math and, and uh, English language arts. And at the end of the third grade in Utah, less than 50% of our students are are meeting the proficiency standard. An even smaller percentage is meeting the math standard. So uh, we, uh, our, our students are not performing at a level that we think will push our state forward. And we believe that uh, a highly educated uh, populace is the strategic element of a, of a new economy. So uh, that's something that I think needs a great deal of attention. You can do the same thing at higher ed. We have a lot of young people that say they're going to college, some kind of post-secondary education, uh, but uh, if you look at that same group of people six years later, um, only about 50% of them have completed a degree or certificate. So that's quite a loss, uh, I think to our state and to our resources. These are the people that we think will drive innovation and productivity and uh, new things that will sustain us in the future. Here's an email. It's uh, quite apropos about teacher retention. This is from Lisa, uh, who says, I started teaching special education in Utah in 1994. At the peak of my career two years ago, I left. I'm not eligible for retirement yet, but I left my beloved children because I could no longer, in good conscience, do more and more work, serve more and more children, adhere to more and more rules and regulations, and do all of this for less and less. When a classroom is no longer safe because the district cannot provide trained staff to help meet the needs of the children, when administration breathes down your shoulder and asks you to add one more thing to your school day, when district policies change mid-school year, and when support staff quit mid-year to work at Costco because they can make more, it's no longer something that I can in good conscience participate in. I worked seven years with a sales freeze. I watched my fellow teachers who work in the Wasatch Front area make a higher salary by over $20,000 a year while my salary stagnated. It's a recipe for disaster, yeah. and I could not in good conscience uh, stay. That's uh, Lisa. Thanks for uh, sharing your experience. I guess that's well, an il- illustration. 
Yeah, it, it illustrates the point exactly. I mean, I, I remember uh, talking to Governor Huntsman about this approaching crisis with teachers. They, he said, my son has what I consider to be the most gifted uh, biology teacher I have ever seen, but he spends his summers bagging groceries. That's a waste of talent, and a lot of teachers get tired of it after a while, if not initially. Uh, they need more help. They need more support. Um, we need more adults in a school. I, I can take you to almost any classroom at the elementary level, and you'll see a group of maybe uh, 26 to 30 students, and four or five of them are crying out for help of one kind or another. And, and the teacher is a wonderful teacher, but just cannot meet the needs of all of those kids, that diverse group of kids, without some help. They need a teacher's aid, or they need better technology. And when they ask for it, there's no money for it. Oh, another metric I might put forward is per-pupil spending. Uh, Utah famously is nearer at the, the last in the nation routinely. Would this initiative, um, I wonder where this would Put the yeah. put the state. Well, we we're, we don't like that distinction of being last in the nation, but that's not our major objective. We want to spend money strategically to help teachers and to help students. For example, we know that uh, many children will be helped if they can get some kind of preschool training or all-day kindergarten. There's no disputing that. We have tried for five years to get the legislature and the governor to advocate early education for populations of students that are disadvantaged or that are struggling, not ready for school. Uh, we have a partnership in the Granite School District that serves a few students. We have a software program that serves a few students. Um, that's it. Mm. And we have... Um, nearly 60,000 students in the state of Utah that are in intergenerational poverty, and another nearly 250,000 that could go either way. So a third of our kids are at risk. They need early learning. We cannot budge the needle on that. Mm. Okay. Same thing with uh, uh, an emphasis on reading and mathematics in the early grades. Uh, much, much more needs to be done, but we have not, I, when I say we, I'm representing the business coalition, not been able to persuade the legislature to put more money into that. So uh, this, this came about because after five years, we have not achieved the goals that we wanted to achieve, and uh, we feel that it's time to take it out to the people and say, would you be willing to raise your taxes to improve the quality of public education in this state and to improve the experience of your children? So that's what it's all about. It'll raise $755 million, and the money will go directly to schools. Uh, here's a quick uh, email from Glenn. I want to get this in at the end here. He says, just once, I'd like to see the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon hold a bake sale to buy more tanks and planes, and our schools have all the money they need. So that's, <laughs> thanks, thanks, <laughs> Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you look at the price of just one F-35, and you're, 
realize that it could uh, take care of almost the budget of the state of Utah for for elementary education. And uh, just that visual of the generals out on the bake scale, bake scale is, is kind of <laughs> yeah, a nice. Yeah, I love that. Uh, well, yeah, the, the the place to go to find out more about our schools now is ourschoolsnow.com, and we'll we'll see uh, where this goes. We've had with us Dr. Rich Kendall from our schools now. Uh, thanks so much for being with us. You bet. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Thank you to everyone who submitted designs to our annual UPR Mug Art Contest. We had awesome work come in from all across the state. Now that our submissions have closed, though, it's your turn to vote for your favorite design. Which one do you think depicts the community of UPR best? Your vote will determine the winner, and their design will be printed on this year's UPR Mug, available during our spring pledge drive. So what would you like to see on your mug? Tell us by going to upr.org and casting your vote. I'm Robin Young. About 700,000 Americans have meniscus or knee surgery every year, so why is it being called useless surgery? Choosing surgery and the strategy of choosing physical therapy tend to be similar, and in fact, on average, most patients improve whichever of those two treatments they choose. Next time, here now. Join us this morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. I'm Daniel Kinka science reporter for Utah Public Radio. And I want to hear your questions about science. We'd like to answer the questions that our listeners want answers to, talk about the things they want to hear about. If you have comments, story ideas, or questions for any of us at the station, we'd love to hear them. Please visit our website at upr.org or call us at 800-826-1495. You can also share ideas with us on Facebook and Twitter. Just be sure to include the hashtag IMUPR. Thanks for listening. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, also heard at upr.org.